Then Jesus said to some of the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They said to him, we're descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? And Jesus said, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household, but the son has the place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The gospel of the Lord. A couple of weeks ago, I found myself playing foosball with one of my favorite nine-year-old boys who shall remain nameless. It's questionable for pastors to talk about their own kids in a sermon, so it's definitely questionable to use other people's kids as sermon illustrations. So I will refrain. Anyway, he asked me if I played foosball, and I gave him the same answer that I give to people when they ask if I golf or play pool. I say something like, I have played foosball, but I don't play foosball, which is to say I'm terrible at foosball, golf, and pool. But since he's one of my favorite nine-year-olds, I agreed, and first came the rules. And since I've only played foosball but don't play foosball, and as with golf and pool, I'm usually holding a beer in one hand and a pool cue or a golf club or a foosball rod in the other, I don't know the rules. I didn't think there were really rules for foosball, so was utterly at the mercy of my nine-year-old friend who had lots of rules <laughs> about how to play foosball. I couldn't keep track of them all at the time, and I certainly can't possibly remember them now, but there was an offsides rule somehow. And he seemed to have some very official-sounding names for very particular offenses, fouls, and penalties, like tripping, I think. Tackling, I believe, was another. I was mystified by how little plastic figures with immovable arms and legs permanently attached to a metal rod could trip or tackle anything. But I was in no position of authority to argue with my nine-year-old opponent. It was his table, it was his house. These were his rules, after all. There was also a rule about whether my foosball player would, could, or should be upside down or right side up at particular times. I think some of the foosball players could kick the ball backwards, but others could not, if I remember correctly. I never did get to drop the ball back onto the playing field after a score either. That was always and only his job. And, of course, after I scored a time or two, my favorite nine-year-old seemed to suddenly remember more rules <laughs> that he'd forgotten to tell me about before we started. I'm certain, by the way, he comes by all of this naturally. His father is a lawyer. <laughs> Bloody paid along, confident that I would and that I could and that I should win, no matter how many rules he threw at me because he's nine. As you might have guessed, I lost that friggin' foosball game <laughs> to my favorite nine-year-old. 
And it makes me think about what we are up to, of course, on Reformation Sunday, what Martin Luther was challenging the church of his day and something like what Jesus meant when he talked about being a slave to sin and about how we could be freed from the kind of bondage that comes with the law. See, I think God's people on the planet are called children for some very good reasons. Since the beginning of time, we've been pretending that rules can save us. So we've messed with the rules, creating our own and breaking gods in ways that work to our advantage, in ways that disadvantage others, and in ways that we think make winners and losers of God's people. And I think, like my favorite nine-year-old, we've convinced ourselves that fudging the rules by bending the rules, by making up and massaging the rules for our benefit, we can come out on top, that we can win in the end. In other words, we've convinced ourselves that our best chance for salvation, our best chance at freedom, as Jesus says it this morning, our only hope for victory is wrapped up in the law of God's many rules which is what people were up to in the days of Martin Luther back in the 16th century. They were keeping score with rituals and with rules and with restrictions and with their riches, too. You could pay cash for salvation by way of those indulgences maybe you've heard about. The church was acting like a bunch of children, convincing people they could buy their way out of purgatory and into heaven for just the right amount of money. People were told they could make a spiritual pilgrimage or visit a holy shrine to gain favor and to earn forgiveness in the eyes of God. We call that works righteousness these days, the notion that we can behave our way into God's good graces. And all of this made Martin Luther and the other reformers sad, angry even. It made him want to change and to reform so much of what was happening to God's church in the world. And it wasn't all that different than what was going on in the days of Jesus, really, either. The followers of Jesus were screwing up even while he was still leaving footprints in the dust on the planet. The Pharisees were pointing fingers. The Sadducees were throwing stones. The scribes were scribbling down and keeping track of all the rules. And the disciples were doubting that the grace Jesus proclaimed and promised and embodied really could be true. And the faithful were falling for it. All of it was about who was right and who was wrong, who was earning God's favor and who was reaping God's judgment, who was playing by all those rules and who wasn't, and who may or may not win in the end. God's children were under the impression that following the rules, keeping the law at all costs was the only way to win. The only way to be free. The only way to be saved, as it were. And like me, against my nine-year-old opponent, people fell for it. People fall for it all the time, thinking they could outsmart it all by keeping up with and following all those rules. But like those people listening to Jesus in this morning's gospel, we forget. 
We forget that we have been and we are still slaves to sin. Slaves to those rules. Slaves to the law. And as slaves, like our confession reminds us, we cannot free ourselves. There is no amount of rules to follow. There are no correct laws to abide. There is no way even to tweak or twist the rules or the law so that leads to our victory. Because we need more than the law. We need the Son. We need the grace of God who is not keeping score, who isn't dangling the rules before us like a carrot, who isn't twisting the rules so that we'll keep playing at this thing called faith as though it were a to-do list for some kind of cosmic taskmaster, rather than a grateful response to a generous God, which is what our faith is meant to be. We need the grace of a God who already loves us, who always, always, always will, because we are indeed children of that God, nothing more and nothing less. I imagine God watching all of us children, you and me and all of creation, like my favorite nine-year-old's parents watched him kick my butt at foosball a couple of weeks ago, smiling and laughing, not at all surprised, all of us knowing it was never about the rules or the score or the winning or the losing anyway. All that matters, God knows and wants us to believe, is that we are all set free, each and every one of us already, that we all win in the end, that God holds no grudges and neither should we until we learn to live differently and to love more radically and to hope more earnestly and to play more fairly for our own sake and for the sake of this world, trusting in and giving thanks for the grace that belongs to all of us, that frees every one of us, that makes us all winners. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.